This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal question. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill. Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law is out for his third graduation this month. <laughs> he was able to uh, participate in the show for some of them, but uh, uh, he, he, he's out in Kansas, so we uh, wish him good traveling on the roads. And I'd like to welcome Francis Springer, uh, attorney for the Springer Law Firm, and we're going to learn about being pulled over while driving by the police, which might happen to you over the upcoming Memorial Day holiday. How are you doing, Mr. Springer? I'm fine, Liz. Thank you for having me again. This is a really great program. I'm proud to be part of it. Well, you're always a uh, great font of information, and uh, our callers think you're very popular, too. So, (laughs) listeners, if you are thinking about asking a question, go ahead and get it in now so we don't miss it at the end of the show. Definitely. And uh, I'm going to be traveling over the weekend. I I haven't noticed if they've gotten a... Usually there's like a code phrase for the the highway patrol for on on holiday weekends. I don't know if they've got one for this one yet. That's that's something I was looking for to see if it had been announced yet. I'm sure it's going to be one, but usually they run... And I'm speaking for them, so they'll announce it. But usually they're from like the midnight of the Friday before mm-hmm. to the midnight of Memorial Day. Yeah. So. I think in the past they've called like driving to survive is when Memorial Day's right. things. And those are just times when the numbers count a little differently um, for for statistics. But the officers are out there constantly, obviously. Right. right. And we, we did have a highway patrol officer on a few months ago. You can find that I on our that. website, mpbonline.org slash legal terms and this is what we're going to be talking about today is um, you know what happens with uh, people getting pulled over and with the highway patrol and the police presence out about this coming up weekend it's Memorial Day folks if you haven't looked ahead on your calendar some folks will get pulled over and let's remind us what are some causes for being pulled over by the police we call those primary well, enforcements or something? Yeah, a lot of times what police officers refer to is, is the primary reason for the stop, but it's probable cause is what causes a uh, an interaction usually between the police and, and a civilian or citizen uh, in a traffic stop situation. Somebody's broken a law or perceived to have broken a law of some traffic or uh, any other crime technically that could put them in that vehicle at that time. And so what are some of the idea, idea, some of the things that you could get pulled over for? Some of the things will be expired tags, uh, lights that aren't working on your vehicle, brake lights, headlights, uh, not doing the speed limit, uh, exceeding the speed limit. 
uh, throwing things from the car, or probably the most popular and the most uh, focused on are seatbelt violations. Right. Ooh, and on autocorrect uh, two weeks ago, we did talk about the new the seatbelt laws for kids. They suggest everybody who's younger than 13 sit in the back, but there are sp- specific uh, seatbelt requirements for uh, younger children, and we hope all of our listeners who have kids or grandkids will buckle up and uh, in the front seat in, in Mississippi, is it the all driver, all passengers need to be buckled up or just the front seat? No, it's all occupants of the vehicle have to be buckled. Um, children under three have to be in a child restraint device, and if I remember correctly, it's four to seven have to be in a booster seat type type um, device. It's not necessarily a child seat, but a booster seat. And the true safety, the law can't gauge everything, but the true safety is measured by the manufacturers and, and just looking at your child size and getting online and seeing what's basically from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration says the best for the safety of the child. That's the goal. All right. We want all of our listeners to be extra safe while you're out there driving, uh, especially this weekend, but then all times. So if you have a question about how to behave when you're pulled over by the police, we'd love for you to give us a call. Uh, Attorney Francis Springer is here. Our number is one 877 MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You could also send us an email. Our address is legal terms at mpbonline.org. Okay, so the first thing is you're driving, you see the blue lights in the rear view mirror. What what should your demeanor be? How what what's your very first thing? Take a deep breath, and then what? Well, that's going to be the first thing is to take the deep breath. I feel your heart skip a couple of beats. Um, the first thing you should do really is, is to slow down and prepare to stop at the first safe place to stop. Uh, pull to the right. I uh, see a lot of people on the interstate, and uh, when I was a deputy sheriff, it happened to me. They would want to pull to the left and stop. That's far from the safest for them, for the officer, for traffic. So it's best to easily and within the traffic lane and the traffic flow is pull to the right of the road and stop. All right. And I know as um, maybe young women, women who feel or individuals who feel vulnerable to uh, a flashing light, if you have any inkling at all that something's hinky, then it's if it's a true police officer, if it's a if it's an actual situation, they don't mind you taking extra precautions. Generally not. And, and that's one of the problems we have, I guess, with the availability of blue lights being purchased is just about anybody can purchase one and not many people are up to date on the police vehicles you know what it is and isn't to be a police vehicle so some people if they just see a blue light they're going to think i need to stop if you have any questions just about everybody has a cell phone of some type you can call 911 and say there's a vehicle behind me pulling me over tell them where you are Uh, and they should be able to tell if that's legitimate or not and if it is, they'll usually tell you, yes, we know the officer's behind you. If not, they're probably going to send some officers to you because that's one thing police officers don't like is somebody impersonating an officer. So slow down, perhaps put on your flashers if you don't have a phone, and look for a populated or a lit space to stop. 
Right. Um, I am traveling this weekend. Uh, Our mamas live in Arkansas. We have to go through the Arkansas Delta where my Jackson cell phone does not get service. And the Arkansas uh, Highway Patrol has a number of lovely uh, Dodge cruisers or darts or something that are completely Dodge Chargers, completely inconspicuous. So if if I had personally, I was was asking this question so I would make sure I'm okay. If I personally didn't feel safe, I would put on my hazards uh, to let the car behind me know, but then look for a brightly lit place. Right. That's that's a very serious thing because you are at the at the mercy basically of whoever's stopping you. And I'm I'm originally from Meridian, and when I was younger, we did have that happening. We had a serial killer there, and he would stop young women. And unfortunately, we had some that were killed. So that kind of comes, you know, home to me. You need to definitely make sure it's a police officer that's stopping you when you stop. All right. Let's take our first call. We're going to go to Richard in Wiggins. Richard, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. You're on the air. Go ahead. Thank you. Uh, Could you give me the difference between being detained and being arrested? That's a good question, Richard. That relates to a traffic stop. Sure, sure. It's an excellent question. Technically, both are the same. Uh, You're both stopped from your free movement. And that's where the officer has to have, at basis, what's known as reasonable suspicion, but more in a traffic stop situation, probable cause. Detained would be generally temporary. That's for an investigation for the officer to uh, get the driver's license, get the proof of insurance to find out uh, the basis of his stop. An arrest would technically and, I guess, officially be more than that. You're going to be taken probably to the police station, to the sheriff's office, uh, to wherever, and that's definitely an arrest different from a detention. All right, Richard, we appreciate you calling in uh, to ask that. And if anyone else wants to call in, they can call in with your questions. 1-877-MPB-RING is our phone number. All right, the blue lights are flashing behind you. Uh, You're going to slow down and pull over to the right. Uh, Then what do you do? Then you want to obviously stop your vehicle. Uh, You want to put it in park. Uh, You don't necessarily have to turn it off, but if you want to turn it off and you know it will crank again, that's fine. If you know it will crank again. (laughs) Sometimes sometimes I've had that happen to me. So you definitely want to make sure that you will be able to move from there. the officer is generally going to approach on the driver's side. However, sometimes with the increase in traffic, many officers are taught to approach from the passenger side. So you need to be prepared for either one. And you need to present your driver's license. That's one thing in Mississippi you do have to do as a driver is when an officer demands your license, you have to show it to him. There's no question about it. Uh, the next thing he's probably going to ask for, or she's going to ask for, is proof of insurance. And those are the only two things in Mississippi that you have to provide. Uh, a lot of people think registration. Uh, in some states you do, but in Mississippi you don't. I think our insurance companies told us in Louisiana you may have to have your registration. So I try to keep, because going to Arkansas, we go sure. through Louisiana, so we try to keep that in the right. car just and, in case. And you'd be subject to whatever the laws are in the state, wherever you are, are stopped. So it's good to have if you if you think you're going to need it. Uh, one thing that a lot of insurance companies do is they don't provide a card anymore. They provide a, oh. a um, an app or something like that that has it on your cell phone if you have that. So that can also be shown to the officer. 
And uh, the law is interesting in that regard because I know I don't necessarily want somebody looking through my cell phone, so I'm right. a little guarded with that. But the law specifically says the only thing the officer can look at at that point is that identification card for insurance. So if they were to go farther than that, oh, you could have, you know, they could have a problem in court. All right. And... Uh should you get out and say howdy to the the trooper? Not necessarily. You don't want to get out if the officer orders you out. Okay. And that's one thing that's confusing, I think, to a lot of people is can a police officer order a driver out? Well, there's no question the driver can be ordered out. But what about the passengers? An officer can order every passenger out of a vehicle legally. Okay. I'm not going to win that one. We not want to get out. But uh, the Supreme Court has ruled that a police officer can, with probable cause, order anyone out of a vehicle. And I will just say, be careful for fire ants when you get off the car. All right, we're going to take our first break. Uh, We're going to continue our discussion with attorney Francis Springer about what you should do, uh, what happens if you get stopped by uh, the police um, while you're driving. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-672. 7464. You could also send us an email. We've got one from Chris uh, to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We've got a statistic for you that does not reflect well on Mississippi, but it doesn't have to apply to you. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole thing at mpbonline.org slash terms. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill. Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law is out with his family, but I, my guest is attorney Francis Springer, and this statistic... Nationally, 90.1% of Americans wear their seatbelts. But in Mississippi, that number is only 77.9, which puts us among some of the lowest seatbelt rates in the nation. This is interesting because uh, for us to average, you know, if 90% of Americans wear them and we're at 77, I guess maybe there's there's got to be a whole lot of 95s out there. You would think so. There would be even 100% somewhere. Right. Uh, there are a lot of states with a lot less roadway, so maybe that's, that's true. part of it. But right. seatbelts do work. That's right. This morning we are talking about uh, police stops while you're driving. We've got a call uh, from Hattiesburg. We've got uh, Elisa. We're, we're so glad that you've called in. Uh, you're on In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Good morning. My question is not necessarily related to the drinking and such, but if you're pulled over and you are a gun owner and you have a gun in your car, 
what are the laws related to what you need to say to an officer uh, about your gun without alarming them that you do have a legal gun in your car? What um, I'm just not quite sure about how you're supposed to carry it in your car and um, what you should or should not say um, to the officer. Well, that's a very good question, Lisa. I'm glad you brought that up because that's one I, I know about but I didn't think about discussing. But it's a very relative issue, especially with a traffic stop in Mississippi. The law in Mississippi is you can have a gun as long as you're legally not prohibited from possessing a gun. You can have it anywhere in your vehicle. Now, there are some limitations to that, some federal installations, this, that, and the other, uh, where it's prohibited. But generally, on Mississippi highways, you can have a firearm in your vehicle, and that's anywhere. It can be concealed. It can be in the glove box. It can be laying on the seat, which is not really advisable. Uh, But what do you do if the officer approaches? Well, in Mississippi, you're not required to say that you have a firearm. But if you have a permit and the officer gets your license and runs your license, it's going to show on there that you also have a firearms permit. And the officer may ask you if you have a firearm. And that's an interesting aspect because the law doesn't require that you disclose your firearm. It's basically at that point you have the Fifth Amendment, whether you decide to answer questions or not at that point. And that could get more technical, and I probably won't go much further than that. But as far as safety, if you feel like you need to disclose to the officer that you have a firearm, the biggest thing to do is keep your hands on the steering wheel or somewhere not reaching for something. And and that's one thing you don't want to do on a traffic stop anyway is reach somewhere under a seat or into a glove compartment without the officer knowing what you're doing. So basically, I think if you just have the firearm and it's nowhere that can be seen, it's not going any further than that, you're probably okay. Okay, thank you. All right, we're glad that you called in with that question. If uh, you have a question, uh, the rest of the listeners, like Craig and Lily do, we would love for you to call in. Our number is one 672 7464 We're going to go to Craig in Biloxi. Craig, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Yeah, good morning. He touched on one thing that I do is, is I make sure my hands are visible and on the steering wheel when I'm stopped, and I and I don't go flapping them around. Uh, when he said you have to, you have a uh, insurance on your phone, are you, are you required to give your phone to the officer, or can you send it to him in Bluetooth? You know, I don't have it on my phone, so I'm really speaking of something that I I don't know. What I'm assuming would happen is the insurance company would give you a copy that would pop up on your phone um, on the screen, and then you could show that to the officer. Now, you know, whether the officer takes your phone or not, that's a, a different question. I think I would personally object to that and tell the officer I don't consent to him taking my phone, but he can definitely look at the in- proof of insurance, the insurance card that pops up on there. So that's okay, an issue. Go ahead. Social security card. Social security number. Uh, social security number shouldn't be on any of those documents. It's not on your driver's I mean, license any longer. Yeah, I mean, I have, uh, you know, they, ha- they have been, you know, well, I've been asked many times, and I don't give my number out. Right, right. Normally, you don't have to give out your Social Security number. Uh, now, what they may do if, if they stop someone they don't have their license with them is ask them for their driver's license number. That way, they can check and see if they have a valid license, which may save a citation. 
Uh, but generally, your Social Security number is something you want to guard to protect your identity because there is a very significant risk there for identity theft, not necessarily from the officer, but from anywhere that it may be transferred or, or anything beyond your control. Right. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Craig. We appreciate you calling in. Uh, next, we're going to go to Lily in Natchez. Lily, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. You're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning. Is it uh, illegal to have your license on the back seat of your car? Uh, you refer to your driver's license? Yes. Um, not in itself. No, as long as you have it uh, with you, it could be on the back seat of the car. Well, what happened to me, normally I uh, keep my wallet on my my front seat, but my grandson was riding with me, and I had placed my purse on the back seat. Uh, I got stopped um, and charged with not having a uh, license. I got a $200 ticket. Hmm. What would happen in a situation uh, by law if you had a valid license at the time you were stopped, and even if you didn't or weren't able to produce that license for the officer, the officer would most likely, well, it's, it's at officer's discretion, but they would most likely issue a citation for failure to produce a driver's license, which is a, a, a statutory violation. But if you show up at court and you show that you had a license valid on the day that you were stopped, that ticket's dismissed by law. So without knowing exactly what the charge was or, or why the officer charged what he or she charged, that would be a difficult one for me to understand. All right. Thank you, Lily. We're glad that uh, you you added that to our conversation. Very interesting to know. Anyone else who would like to call in, we would love for you to call one eight seven seven. MPB ring or send us an email legal terms at mpbonline.org so you mentioned that the officer can ask you to get out of the car but you shouldn't unless he does ask you and they also can ask uh, the passengers to get out um, do you have the right to say I want to talk to your supervisor that's a good question, and that um, I think all of us see videos either online or on television, Facebook, wherever, and that's one of the ones I see a good bit. Uh, a person will have what they consider as a negative, I guess, encounter with a police officer and then demand to see their supervisor. That's not something that's going to be handled very easily because there's no right that you have as a driver or as a citizen to see a police supervisor, especially on the side of the road. So that's probably just going to escalate the situation. My best advice would be to go through with what's happening there. The side of the road is not the best place to argue constitutional law <laughs> with an officer. Balance that with you do have the right to guard your rights. Uh, but the best place for those arguments are either at the police station with a formal complaint if you feel it's necessary or in court. Now, I, I guess I've seen a lot of movies and, you know, watched some news. If an officer sees an attractive individual driving, could they stop to get their number? Or if the officer feels it's a shady-looking individual and they must be up to no good, can they pull them over? 
Well, let's take that one in two parts. The first one, uh, being attractive to an officer is not a violation of law, and that doesn't establish probable cause. So if there is a stop from from free movement there, that would be a violation of uh, federal law, civil rights, uh, what's known as 42 United States Code 1983, which is a civil rights violation, and they would open themselves up to civil liability for violating your rights. Uh, the second one, there's no real law against being suspicious. So what the officer would have to articulate or be in the same situation of violating your civil rights is that what the officer perceived, they could say, established probable cause in their mind. And that is possible, depending on the facts and the circumstances. Uh, but generally, just because an officer looks at somebody and either likes or doesn't like what they see is not probable cause. All right. And uh, let's talk about... Well, let's take this email. This is, uh, hello, during a DUI traffic stop or roadblock, do you have to hand the officer license, insurance, and registration or simply present them against the window? And related, how does the right to travel play into an officer detaining a driver? Those are good questions, and those those vary a lot, or at least the first one, state to state. Uh, in Mississippi, when an officer stops you, and whether the stop is valid or not is often a secondary question, but when you're stopped and the officer asks for your license, you have to present that license. And the way that that's generally interpreted, it is handed to the officer. Because uh, if you notice on the license, it does remain the property of the state of Mississippi. Ooh, okay. So that is something that can be taken from you and has to be shown to the officer. The same with the insurance card. Now, it's not the property of the state of Mississippi, but you still have to produce that to the officer. Um, so I would suggest if you just put it up to the window, there's probably going to be a little more that's going to happen, a little more problem. Uh, the second one, as far as just your right to travel, there is a right to freely travel in the United States, and that's a good one. However, when you're on the public roadways, those rights are limited. So an officer can make a stop and legally detain you, uh, and even the Supreme Court has ruled in a roadblock-type situation. Now, those have to be set up properly, and those are measured usually in court more so than on the side of the road. Uh, but the legal stopping someone from their free movement is not unnecessary. Excuse me, it's not unnecessarily restrictive, and uh, it is legal. All right. Well, we're gonna we're talking with Francis Springer, attorney with the Springer Law Firm, about police stops. Hey, I shared that uh, how to drive in a traffic circle video you've got on oh, your awesome. Facebook page, and people went crazy on my Facebook page about <laughs> that. Uh, please give us a call. Our number is one eight. 877 MPB ring that's 18776727464 with your questions you can also email us legalterms at mpbonline.org they went crazy because of the facebook video because it explained a traffic circle so well that's a and good video i can't it, claim original but yeah, it's a good yeah, video yeah that's a good one uh, let's put drunk driving in perspective we'll give you a statistic when we come back from the break you're listening to in legal terms on mpb Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert, but he is traveling today. He's not with us, but we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. Hey, maybe he'll listen to our podcast while he travels. Uh, My guest, Francis Springer, and I, we were just talking about how we do like to listen to the podcast. There's lots of different platforms. I like Podcast Addict. Some people use Stitcher. Some people use Spotify. But uh, you down if you have an Android phone, you download it to your phone. On mine, I touch a plus that takes me to a page to search for podcasts. Uh, and you can either search or browse. But if you want to search, you type in in legal terms and then it'll bring up this show in legal terms. And I'm able to touch the photo. We've got some like legal looking columns on it within legal terms and it should be the only in legal terms uh, in the search area and uh, you touch the photo and hit subscribe and then if you choose you can be notified when the new episodes are put up this morning we're talking about DUIs, police stops, uh, with our guest attorney Francis Springer. And our little statistic is each year more than 10,000 people die on our roadways due to drunk driving. And that would equal equal 20 jumbo jets crashing, crashing each year. So if you kind of put that into perspective. Gives it a new perspective, doesn't it? Yeah, all the brouhaha about that Boeing safety business, and that was two jets crashing crashing over three years. Right. Uh, DUIs, uh, it's 10,000 people each year. And we want to help and help you answer your questions about what your rights are during a police stop. And we've gotten lots of good folks to call in. Uh, Jamie, Catherine, and first we're going to go to John in Meridian. John, thanks so much for calling in legal terms. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking my call. Just a couple questions. Uh, Number one, if you have uh, been out, let's say getting some dinner or whatever, you have a couple drinks, get in your car, get pulled over, you're on the way back. You get pulled over for a non-related, say, speeding or whatever it is, uh, and the officer asks you, have you had anything to drink tonight? And if you tell him, yeah, I've had, you know, a, a beer or two beers or whatever it is, does does that provide him with uh, any type of uh, probable cause to, you know, all of a sudden, you know, pull you out of the car and make you, uh, you know, go through the sobriety test or whatever like that? And two, um, do they... Do they have to carry around the calibration records or whatever it is uh, for their machines uh, in their car so they can prove to you that, I don't know, I guess that, that, that everything's been calibrated as it's supposed to be? I'll hang up and let you answer the question from there. Thanks, John. We appreciate you calling in. Those are good questions. Uh, the first one, you have the right to remain silent at any time. Uh, you do have to produce the documents the law requires, a driver's license and proof of insurance card. But an officer asks you if you've been drinking, you do not have to answer that question. You can just simply say, you know, under the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution, I, I reserve my right not to answer any questions. Now, if you do answer in the affirmative and say, well, yes, I had one beer, First of all, my experience in, in being a law enforcement officer, that generally translates to at least five or six. Um, but anyway, that's a, that's a different subject. But if you do say that, yes, that can enhance the officer's uh, articulation of probable cause as to why he went forward with an investigation of DUI. Anything you say can and will be used against you, as you hear in the Miranda warning, and that's very true. 
Uh, the second, regarding the calibration of the instruments, there's no portable breath tester that's really calibrated. Uh, the, they can carry any kind of certification of calibration with the officer. Those are generally to, again, build probable cause. And you do not have to take one of those. Uh, you can refuse the portable breath tester, and there's no penalty for that. Now, if you refuse the intoxilizer, which you'll know the difference between a portable breath tester and the intoxilizer. The intoxilizer is generally at the sheriff's office or police department. If you refuse that, now there are penalties from that. And that calibration is also not going to be shown to you. The Mississippi Highway Patrol keeps up with the calibration on each of those instruments, and that comes up in court. If the instrument's not properly calibrated, that could be an issue that uh, the state would have with prosecuting a DUI. But as far as you seeing it as the driver going through the procedures of being arrested and tested, you're not going to see the calibration. Now, if you refuse the breathalyzer at the stop, and then I suppose they do other sobriety tests, can they then take you into a station for the other thing? What would you call that? The, the intoxilizer. intoxilizer. Yes. What the officers can offer um, either on the side of the road or later if they feel like they have enough to arrest at the station are standardized field sobriety tests or a portable. The standardized field sobriety tests, in my experience, are pretty good indicators of impairment. Um, and you don't have to take those. You can refuse those, and you can't be forced to take those, and that can't be used against you. Uh, however, if you do perform the test and the officers get clues and indicators that show impairment, that can be used against you in any kind of prosecution. Uh, and as far as the intoxilizer, again, if you refuse that, you're more than likely going to be charged with DUI anyway. Refusing to take that is not a crime in itself. However, it is going to subject you to a 90-day suspension of your license if it's the first offense or one year if it's a second offense. And the law now shows that suspensions, um, well, let me back up. If you are convicted of the DUI, say it's a first offense, you're going to have a 120-day suspension of your license. That's going to be in addition to the 90 days. So regardless of guilt or innocence on the refusal, you're going to have a 90-day suspension. Uh, so that's a, a decision that the individual just has to make, I guess, uh, at that time. So if you refuse to take the breathalyzer, you refuse to take the field sobriety tests, then what happens? Uh, it's going to depend on the the evidence the officer feels like that he or she has to, to show the court that you're DUI. So that will determine then if they charge you with DUI or not. Um, there, the evidence, if you don't take the test, will be lower. But now an officer can still testify to things that he or she has seen all consistent with a person under the influence. So just because you don't take those doesn't mean that you're not going to be convicted. And are the sobriety tests, are they like they are on TV, walking like the balance beam on the line and touching your nose? Well, touching your nose is not one of them. There are three. There's, there's the horizontal gaze nystagmus where you follow the pen. There is the walk and turn, and then there's the one leg stand. Oh, okay. What about uh, saying the alphabet backwards our engineer wanted to no. That's another one. That's not scientific. Okay. Uh, that's a good one, but uh, it makes good TV, but it's not really scientific and it's not admissible as evidence. All right. We're talking with attorney Francis Springer. We're taking your phone calls and uh, we've got uh, three lined up. Let's go to Jamie in uh, Brookhaven. Uh, go ahead. You're on in legal terms. Yeah, my question was, is uh, when they have a roadblock set up, is it required by law for a highway patrolman to be there? Mm -hmm. Or can sheriffs or and city city police set them up on their own? 
That's a good question. Uh, any agency, any traffic agency can set up a, a roadside, what they generally call a roadside safety check or a DUI checkpoint. The Highway Patrol doesn't have to be present. Uh, highway Patrol will likely be present, especially if it's on a state highway, uh, but they can have sheriff's officers there with them, city police officers. There can be a mix. Right, right, but they don't they don't have to be there, though. Right, right, they do not have to be there. All right, that, that was all I need to know. I sure appreciate it. Sure. Thank you, Jamie. Let's now go to Catherine in Gaucher. Catherine, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Hi, I have, I guess, a piece of advice, and then I would like your um, legal expertise um, as far as uh, police stops are concerned. I would say for people that don't, I guess, necessarily feel trustworthy of the police or things like that, to still remain respectful and know that there is, like, a way legally that you can handle the situation without escalating it by raising your voice or, like, being verbally disrespectful. Um, And I was wondering if you could talk about how someone should handle being pulled over if they feel like they are wrongly pulled over or if they feel like they're being uh, treated negatively by the police uh, officer. Thank you, Catherine. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, we we want everybody to be safe in these situations. Exactly. We want the we gosh, our police officers. We're so grateful for them. We want them to be safe. But you know, everybody else has lived their life with their own experiences, and they may be coming from places that don't have a good relationship with the police. So you know, how do you handle? An escalation. How do you keep things from getting escalated? What's how do how do you be respectful? Since we're probably just talking to the drivers now, the, the power of the government and their police power is extremely great, um, and and that's the police officer that you see in uniform, sometimes not in uniform. The key there, I think, to the whole thing is respect. You know, you want to be respectful to the officer, even if you disagree with the officer, uh, if you disagree directly or indirectly with what either you're being asked to do or being accused of. Uh, Again, in this country, you can voice your opposition to that. If you don't want your vehicle searched, you can say clearly, I don't consent to any search of my vehicle. I don't consent to getting out of my vehicle. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Uh, an officer, if they have probable cause, they can search your vehicle from bumper to bumper, basically, on the side of the road. But you can still voice your opposition to that. And that will be an issue perhaps later in court if something's found or if there um, is maybe no arrest, but there's civil litigation that comes later. Those things could come into effect there. Uh, you have the right to record reasonably what's going on, either if you're the participant in the traffic stop or if you're an observer. There's no law against that. Uh, There is a law against interfering, so you don't need to interfere in the officer's uh, engagement, but you can record that. And I don't believe there's any officer that I know of that would necessarily have a problem with that. Uh, I tell everybody I work with, anybody I represent, you pretty much assume that you're being recorded 24 hours a day because it's very likely you could be. So if you act that way, I think everything will be fine. So those are, I think, the the biggest things. And as far as the stop, you just basically you can voice your your objection, and it's it's a real fine balance there because the officer does have the upper hand, as the law gives them. 
But did that answer the question? I think I may have gotten kind of... I think it did. I think it did. And we're so glad that uh, Catherine uh, called in. But the best thing to do, I guess, if you feel like you've been wronged by an officer, you can file a complaint uh, either with the agency or the supervisor. uh, But that's probably not going to happen, as we said, on the side of the road. Or, you know, consult an attorney for possible legal action. All right. Let's go to Polly in Jackson. Polly, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. Uh, I am glad you've called in. Go ahead. Well, we'll, we're going to go ahead and take a a, a break right now. And our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send us an email, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Is it legal to use your phone while driving? We'll find out about that when we come back. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. In legal terms on MPB Think Radio. Thank you for being a part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show live at mpbonline.org slash in legal terms. It's available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. You can also listen to the podcast. I'm Liz Gill. Professor Richard Gershon is going to join us next week. We're talking with attorney Francis Springer about police stops. And uh, one statistic is that for drivers 15 to 19 years old involved in fatal crashes, 21% were distracted by the use of their cell phone. And it's... It's legal to talk on your phone in Mississippi, but you can't text and drive. Right. Is that right? It's, it's illegal. It's not a criminal infraction. It's a civil infraction. But to uh, send or receive any kind of text message, social media, anything like that is illegal. All right. Uh, we've gone through a, quite a lot this morning. We've talked about how to act when you get pulled over. We talked about car seats a bit already. We've talked about... Uh, the sobriety tests, but let's go now and talk to David in Flowood. David, we're so glad you've called in to In Legal Terms. Go ahead. Well, I have two questions, one that's related to the topic today and then another one. Um, the first one is you talked about the intoxilizer inside the police precinct or, or inside the building, offside the road, off of the road. And um, if, you take, if, you de- if you deny to take that test, and you do get, you know, your license suspended for 90 days. Is that equal when the insurance company looks at you, you know, as far as charging you more um, for your rates for insurance than it is if you 
other than just got you know a guilty right. verdict on the other. No, no, the refusal is not looked at by insurance companies. As a matter of fact, the law prohibits that. Uh, everyone has a right to refuse. Um, however, there is an administrative penalty, and that's a ninety-day suspension. But no, insurance companies don't look at that in and of itself. David, what was your second question? Oh, and um, the second question is, uh, if, when, you're, um, when you have an officer respond to a small accident, any, any accident, I guess, involving two vehicles, and you don't have your current uh, insurance on you, but you do have insurance, and they cite you, and then you go to the station or you get with the station and show them proof afterwards, and they don't charge you, but they've sent the information to the highway patrol, and the highway patrol sends you a letter, and you're required to pay a, I think there's a $100 fee. It's not necessarily in the documentation related directly to not having the proof in the car, but you can't get around it without having your, uh, your, your license suspended. That's a situation that I'm not familiar with because the law requires that you produce a proof of insurance to the officer, and the officer can cite you. But if you do show up in court with proof that you had insurance that was in effect and valid on the day of the citation, it's dismissed. And there's no penalty that I'm aware of that the Department of Public Safety will take based on you not having proof of insurance. So the only thing I can guess is there may have been something mixed up between the agency and the Department of Public Safety regarding the license. Do you have to pay court fees if you go to court, you know, if you didn't have your insurance card with you and then you get cited for that, but then you go to court and you do have uh, your proof of insurance, do you have to pay court fees for that? If if you had insurance on the time that you were cited, no, that will be dismissed. All right. Thank you so much, David. Thanks for your call. Let's go to Michael in Jackson. Michael, we're coming up to the end of the show. What's your question or comment? He had a couple of questions. Um, you, you said earlier that um, the officer can uh, ask you to get out of the car and you can uh, say you don't agree to getting out, but you have to get out. Is that Does that clarify that? Yeah, the officer can actually order you out of the car. Uh, some may ask, but it's, it's essentially an order that has to be complied with. Okay, so they don't need probable cause to, to have you to get out of the car? No, they've got to have probable cause to stop the car. But to order someone out of the car, they don't have to have probable cause on that person. Okay. They can order anyone out of the vehicle. All right. Once they um, get you out of the car, can they have you go into their car, into the police car? Uh, yes. In fact, they can. Uh, some officers will want to just sit in the car. You know, maybe it's adverse weather or for the safety of the officer and, and the person. Or if they're being arrested, they're going to be placed in the officer's car. Right. Um, but that's at their discretion again. They don't you can't refuse to do that. You can object to it. There's nothing in the law that I know of that specifically says you have to sit in a police car if ordered by an officer. However, there is a law that says you have to follow a lawful order of a police officer. So if that officer has good reason for that and you know it, it's advisable to follow it. You can always object to it. Uh, but if the officer gives you an order, you know, that's something that would have to be probably challenged in court if you're charged with it. Yeah, I had a... Uh officer had me sit in his car and he had a drug sniffing dog in the car and I believe he did that 
so the dog could sniff me to see if I had any any drugs, which I didn't. But uh, I felt that, you know, that was a search that I wasn't agreeing to by him having me sit in the car and there's a drug-sniffing dog in the car. And, you know, there may be some validity to that. Uh, but the canine officers, I've never been a canine officer, but I've worked with them many times, and the, the canines are not trained and not allowed to search individuals. I know when legally they're not allowed to search individuals. They can search vehicles, they can search property, but you're not going to be able to search a person with that. Now, you can walk past a dog and it may, you know, uh, indicate, but that's another matter. But as far as ordering someone to sit in a vehicle to have a canine indicate, that's something I've just not heard before, but I can't say that wouldn't happen. All right. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate you calling in today. This has been very interesting. Uh, show. I'm so glad that, that we've had you on. Well, thank you again for the opportunity. One thing I want to remind our listeners, because we learned uh, this to the tune of $250, is that if you see a police officer who has already stopped someone, give them a wide berth. If, if you, and you know, you may have to, if you're on a two lane road, you may have to come to a complete stop because if there's oncoming traffic, if you can't scoot over, you're going to get a fine. Well, the goal is, is not to have an accident. So if you can Ex- move over at all exactly. for, for emergency vehicle, for a tow truck, uh, for MDOT, anybody, you know, slow down a little bit, move over. Everybody gets to where they're going. That's right. Now let's remind us because everybody watches all these TV legal drama shows. What are what are our rights when we have pulled over? Let's go. Let's go through. You have the remi- right to remain silent. Definitely, you definitely have the right to remain silent. You don't have to answer any questions. You do have to produce your driver's license if you're the driver. You also have to produce an insurance card showing that you have liability insurance. Uh, beyond that, though, you're not forced to make any statements or participate in any test or anything, uh, but you will be penalized administratively, at least, for refusing the intoxilizer if you are offered one um, at the police station or wherever an official intoxilizer is. All right. And uh, if and you've been drinking, well, don't, don't drink and drive. Exactly. That's one thing I wanted to say. You know, we can we can look at the law, and the law is kind of like a, a football game. You have two sides. They have to play by the rules. However, at the end of the day, is to save lives and produce, uh, prevent injuries. So don't drink and drive because that's heavy machinery, and if you're impaired, somebody's likely to get hurt. See, I, I like to be the uh, designated driver, and I'll just drink Cokes all night and take funny videos of my friends, and then I can drive them home, and everybody's safe. There's, there's a benefit there. <laughs> Uber, anything, taxi, just don't drink and drive. That's right. Oh, Francis Springer, thank you so much. Thank you, Liz. And I, I, I really have enjoyed your Facebook page. You've got lots of little good tips well, and things that. on that. So I'll try to keep that going. Look at the Springer Law Firm on Facebook. That's going to wrap us up for today for In Legal Terms. Our call screener today has been our wonderful Michelle McAdoo and uh, board engineer is Jay White. It's a team effort, guys. Uh, I'm Liz Gill, and up next is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress. But we hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.